Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. This podcast is also brought to you by the Success League, a consulting and training firm focused on developing customer success programs that drive revenue. My name is Kristen Heyer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. On this episode, I'm speaking with Wayne McCullough, who is the global head of customer success for Google Cloud, about his new book, The Seven Pillars of Customer Success. And I've gotten a chance to take a sneak peek at the book, and I'm excited for all of you to hear more about it, along with Wayne's tips for building a customer success program. So Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much, Kristen. Super happy to be here. Before we get started on the book, can you tell our audience how you landed in customer success? Uh, yeah, actually, it was. Um, I spent most of my career um, before customer success in education training, you know, getting okay. adoption of the technology. And it wasn't until I got to Salesforce and I met a lady by the name of Maria Martinez, who's one of the you know greatest customer experience and customer success leaders I've ever come across. And um, she got me really interested and curious. In, in what customer success was. And of course, Salesforce kind of accidentally created it, I guess, through the creation of this, <laughs> for the SaaS model and, and the cloud. And so, um, I, you know, I was in a company that was really sophisticated. Even today, I look at companies and my peers and they're not as sophisticated as what Salesforce was, you know, seven, eight years ago. And right. But it really got me thinking, hey, there's a, another profession that I probably should be in. I, I love customers. I love them adopting technology and getting value, but actually... Customer success is much more than that, and I wanted to be a part of it. So that's when I made the pivot, and I've been in it ever since. That's great. Um, so I'm curious, how is customer success set up at Google? Uh, well, actually, customer success at Google is, uh, you can look at it through two lenses. So I okay. lead what's called the customer success solutions team, which is focused on pretty much SaaS products. So okay. the typical, most common use case for customer success, you know, uh, user licensing, three-year contracts, renewals, and all that sort of stuff. And then there's another component around customer success, which is on a consumption model. So if you think of okay. uh, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, they don't operate on a license seat model. They operate on the more you use, the more you pay. And so if you think about it, customer success in a consumption model has a very different focus because it's not the same business model. And so it's actually kind of cool to sit there and look at the world I'm used to, which is around SaaS, and then look at you know, my, my peers who are doing the consumption and we come together and swap stories on what works and what doesn't, and maybe this would work there and that would work here. So I'm really fortunate to get a taste of both inside Google Cloud, which I'm super excited about as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you're approaching it on both sides and um, and getting to see those differences live. I, I look. I think every SaaS company needs to think about coming a consumption model company, because one of the things I've realized about consumption is um, it grows with your customer success. So by default, you, customer success is so important and ingrained in the company culture because you get paid on the usage and adoption of your product. Whereas in SaaS, like, you know, we still get paid whether people use it or not. Now, we, we might not get a renewal at the end, and, right. and that's 
devastating. But the fact that, you know, I've got three-year customers, maybe I'm not going to give them as much love in year one and year two because they're not renewing for three years. And so the, the mentality shifts a little bit and the focus changes and the the, the rallying around um, getting customers to use and get value and find more ways to use your product is natural in a consumption model. And the other thing too is if you think of SaaS, like if I have 10 people and I pay $10 per user per month, I'm making $100 a month and that's it, I'm capped. So I either have to come up with more products or hope that that company adds more people. But in a consumption model, I'm not necessarily capped by the fact there's 10 people. I'm capped by how much value they can extract from the technology. And as they grow and be successful, so will the consumption business. So I think there's something there maybe in the SaaS world that you might be seeing more of in the near future. I think so too. And I think that it it basically just compounds the need for customer success because part of why customer success came about in the first place was that need to, you know, continually earn the customer's business in a subscription model. Well, if it's a consumption model, it's even accelerated. You know, you have to be earning it all the time, every minute. (laughs) And it's pretty obvious when you're not. (laughs) Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, that's that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that setup because I think that's cool. Uh, Let's shift gears over to the book. So what made you decide to write a book about customer success? All right. So as embarrassing as this is, and I'm going to have a vulnerable moment here with you. um, You know, when I pivoted into customer success, I'm pretty experienced, seasoned business executive, been in some of the best known companies on the planet, you know, from the biggest like HP to PeopleSoft and software. And, and I really feel like, you know, this is this is going to be great. And and I start to implement things I'd learn at Salesforce. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting the same result. This is weird. Like this is the best practice. And why isn't it working here? And so I go online, I read the blogs, I watch the webinars, I attend the conferences, I follow the thought leaders, and I'm getting all this amazing insight and experiences. And I I take them and apply them, but they don't always work. And I'm getting I'm getting frustrated as a leader because I'm like, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I'm doing what people are having success with. And it wasn't until I took a step back and, and really thought about it. I'm like, actually, customer success is different in every company because it's different based on the product or number of products. It's different on the maturity of the market. It's different because of the politics in your organization. Have your leaders come from a born in the cloud company or come from a traditional software company in, in which their understanding of the business model and how it works isn't you know different. And then there's there's so many different factors that go into what works. And so at that point, I realized, you know what's missing? How to pull it all together. There's great books and information on why customer success is important. You know, Nick mm-hmm. Mehta, Dan Stein, and Lincoln Murphy, the, that customer success book that everyone has on their, yeah. on their desk, <laughs> they don't, they should. That, like, to me, that tells you why it's so important. And then there's amazing books and there's training courses. There's like eight different certifications now to be a great CSM. And I'm like, well, that's great. Like how to go execute a, a, a business a customer success plan, how to go run a QBR, you know, health scoring. Like, okay, cool, that's cool. But there's a gap in the middle, which is how do you how do you construct, build, and run a success organization that consistently can capture best practices, deliver at scale, have a great narrative inside your company so everyone knows what you do, how you do it, measures the success, like every other function that's mature. And so I'm like, I'm gonna write that book. I'm going to write the book that sits in the middle between why success is important and how to go be a great CSM, which is care for the customer and and deliver value. But the bit in the middle was missing. And I'm like, I need a framework. And so the book is really a framework to think about how to build success. And the way I put it is is this way, Kristen, which is 
I'm giving you the blueprints to build this really nice house. You get to decide what color the paint is, what furniture is, what the flooring looks like. Like you get to do that. That's that's your value from your organization, your experience, right? But I'm going to give you that the ability to build a house because what happens when a lot of leaders like me pivot in or, or become new leaders in customer success, we we know the things we need to do and we start executing on them, but but there's no way of connecting it all together. There's no way of being able to tell that story in a very easy narrative about why we do and how we do it and and what the impact is and and so what i wanted to do is do that for me and then i realized well this would be valuable for other leaders like me and then, <laughs> and then i realized there's a bunch of csms out there that want to become cs leaders and so i'm like well that would work for them and then finally there's people in support and sales and consulting who are like hey i'd love to pivot into success tell me more about it I'm like, well, this book should be give you an idea about how it works and why it works and what's important. Then you can go off and learn how to be a, a great CSM if you want, but without the context of the the framework and how a function actually operates and works, I feel like it's it's the missing piece. And so that's why I set about writing the book, and and that's why I've I've, I've finally got it to market. I, well, that's a huge huge effort. So congratulations on finishing it and getting it to market. That's a big deal. So yeah, highly recommended. Any job. of your listeners, do not do it. Do not write a book. <laughs> go go find another hobby. Take up Ironman triathlon. Like do something else to fill your time. Do not write a book. It's really hard. I have a lot of respect now for those people that have gone before me. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, and you kind of answered my next question a little bit in your last answer, but who do you see as the main audience for your book and what do you hope they get out of it? Yeah, well, uh, the publisher was talking to me about that earlier on and I'm like, um, I don't, I don't, what, what's interesting is I'm doing a podcast with someone who's in the real estate industry. Okay. But I didn't write the book for the real estate industry. I didn't even write a book for non-B2B SaaS people. I wrote it like, I mean, I just wrote it for that industry that I knew, right? Um, so if I say who's my audience, I'd be like anyone in B2B SaaS that wants to understand what customer success is, why, like why, how it works, why, how to operationalize it, so how it fits in the context of the entire company. Because think of it this way, I think it's weird that we change the business model, of, you know, from perpetual on-prem licensing to now it's in the cloud and SaaS. So now customers consume differently. They they uh, onboard differently. They leave faster. They acquire faster. Like, but we didn't change the business model. We still have a services <laughs> group, a, a training group, a support group. Like it's still exactly the way it was in the old days of software. And yeah. so we're like, well, this doesn't work. So instead of reimagining, we create this customer success group. We jam it in there, and then everyone's like, well, what do you do? What do we do? Don't we do that? And then you get all this confusion, and so you start doing roles and responsibilities and matrix and charts, and and the whole thing is like, well, let's rethink the entire customer journey. Let's think of it as that, as a journey, as onboarding is different to implementation is different to. Um, adoption, which is different to retention and optimization, is different to expansion, is different to advocacy. And if we think that way, we start to blend the teams together more on the journey rather than operationally, internally, this is our silo, right? And so, so this book hopefully will encourage people to think about that and not necessarily just reinvent the org designs. That's, that's probably not practical, at least in the short term. Although someone brave and really smart, much smarter than me is going to work out how to do it. But I do think it, it does cause us to think about, you know, in the book, I talk about um, my conversation with a PS leader. I'm like, are you customer centric? And they're like, absolutely. Our company is, we are, 
our consultants live and die by the success of our implementations. And I said, great, what are, what are your measures of success? Like, how do you get paid bonuses? One, and the response is revenue margin and utilization. And I'm like, which, which one of those are customer metrics? Like, and it's not the PS people's fault, right? It's just yeah. their metrics of success are all about the company, operational efficiency. Like, right. why isn't why isn't PS measured on time to value? Why isn't measured on renewals, expansions? Like they have a big role to play in the journey. And if we start yeah. thinking about the journey and, and every team's role, um, I think it was Scott Hudgens. Um, he's like a chief commercial officer of Walt Disney World Resort. He had the best, my favorite quote in the whole book. Sorry to everyone else who I quoted in the book, by the way. But the best, <laughs> the best quote is, no one owns the customer, but someone always owns the moment. And when you think of it in that yeah. perspective, it's not PS owns the customer and implementation or sales owns it because they sold the customer or customer success owns it because they're account managing it or whatever. It's it's who owns the moment and coalescing as a team around making that moment great. And, and one team might have the lead, but other teams support. And so I think the book is really for, for people in B2B software just to really understand how critical this role can be and, and how to think about it differently. But you know yeah. what, if it works in real estate, then that's great too. I'll, I'll take that too, but that's not who it's Exactly. For. B2B SaaS and real estate. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but there's I, so many correlations, right? Yeah. It's, it's all about a framework. Like how do we take yeah. a customer on a journey? And if it's B2B or B2C, there is a journey involved and um, we should map that out as a, as a way to think about how we execute. Yeah. You just brought up something that is a pet peeve of mine and it's that people feel like they have to own the customer at certain points in the customer journey. And, I feel like they're trying to kind of just keep the relationship secret in their own. And <laughs> it's sort of like, it's sort of like a, it comes across like a power grab to me. And there's always this excuse that, oh, well, customers will get confused if there's too many people to have relationships with. <laughs> I keep thinking, yeah, we all have relationships with multiple people in every aspect of our life. But if we're in a, you know, B2B environment, suddenly we can only have a relationship with one person and we can't handle it outside of that. And that just <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think, look, as long as we're really transparent and clear with the customer, yeah. part of onboarding does that, right? The whole step yeah. of onboarding is helping the customer orientate to how to operate, how to partner together, how to have joint success. And you define that with success plans and other things, but really it's just, it's it's a relationship um, and it was funny, I was, I was talking to my manager today and he just, he mentioned something about, um, it feels like some organizations are dating the customer. Like we're going to go out on a date and then when the date's finished, we, we leave. Yeah. And customer success is more like, we're going to marry the customer. Like we're yeah. actually here for the long journey and there's going to be ups and downs. I'm going to fight and we're going to have successes, but that's what customer success is. It really is that sustained. But during, during a relationship with a customer, obviously you're going to need to come in contact and have relationships with other parts of the org. And as long as you're clear on how to communicate and how to effectively manage that, I don't have a problem with it. But yeah, owning yeah. the customer is weird. And I get it. You know, some people yeah. are nervous. They don't want to mess it up. They don't want to upset. Like, I totally get it. But that's not the world of SaaS. If you think that way, then you need right. to go back to the perpetual on-prem world because that's not going to work in this day and age, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not. Um, okay, so in your book, you talk about the three waves of customer success, and I thought that was interesting. Can you take us through how you see the development of the field and what you see coming in the third wave? Yeah, this this one for me was this was fun because I was trying to think back to, and I did a lot of research for the book, and and and, and it was good. I got to learn from some people, like you know, if you read the 
the book Customer Success from Nick Meta. Like, yeah. he'll talk about, um, you know, Salesforce and 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 how, you know, Dave comes up to Mark Benioff and says, hey, I think we've got a problem with churn. We need to focus some people who help them onboard and, and use the product and, and and plug the gap in the product and give some voice to the customer back and and just does whatever it takes to save the customer because we're, we're losing a lot of customers. And so they do that and then thus is thus born customer success manager, right? Um, known by a different name then, but now that's what we refer to it as. And in 1.0, it was all about firefighting. It was all about doing exactly that. Whatever it takes, save the customer, plug the product gaps, you know, provide support. Maybe you do some training, build relationships, like escalate, voice of the customers. It was all that. And then what happened is over the last 10 years, you've really seen EPD, you know, engineering, product and design organizations are starting to get really smart about how to build a product that easily onboards a customer. You see it on some products where it guides you through how to do certain things in the product when you get started and reveals new features as you get more sophisticated. So, so we got really smart around designing our products. So CSMs were freed up now to do what we call sort of value work, um, which is how do we make sure that the customer's consuming value from the solution? How do we make sure that they're realizing that value and renewing with us? And then maybe we can expand that value by different use cases and other evidence that we can show. And then eventually create an advocate that we help to go sell new logos or save current logos in trouble. Like that's where the CSM 2.0 came in. But again, the product team's getting smarter about making it easy to consume value. They're building in capabilities, AI, ML, things that are actually doing things that we could never do before with the software, which starts to then look at the CSMs and say, hey, you, you're freed up to go again up the value chain and become CSM 3.0 because one of the things you'll see is you get more mature as a, a customer success group. And look, I'm not saying you start off at 2.0 or 3.0 today. If you're starting a new software company today, you probably have a lot of 1.0 CSMs running around right now because the product's new. And that's okay. As long as you get to, to CSM 2.0, and, and then CSM 3.0 is saying, let's take people who know the product, who know the customer, and if we can educate them and skill them on the industry, you've got the three legs of a stool that enables you to be a strategic advisor, enables you to give insights and understanding that the company themselves can't because they only know the company and they only know the industry. You can bring in third-party consulting companies. They might be great at the industry. They might learn your company, but they don't know your product. You know your product. So you have all three legs of the stool. So you could go into Walmart, for example, and just say, hey, uh, I got this great idea. Like I've seen this and this and this before. I know we could do this. You've got this challenge here that I've noticed, but our software could do that. And suddenly you're becoming a strategic advisor. And I think, no, I don't think, I know customers will pay for that. And that comes down to, well, do we monetize customer success or not? And I think at this, when you get to 3.0, you can absolutely monetize. In fact, you should monetize because customers will pay for value. Just like your product, now the person becomes super valuable and they will want to pay for that. And then that starts to create a funding discussion that enables you to grow and flourish as opposed to the opposite that happens, which is, this is getting too big. We're, we're having layers on layers. You've got managers and managers. 
So now you're going to have to lift the minimum spend or whatever it is to get a CSM. So now there's a bunch of customers get no customer success, which makes no sense. And so then you're like, well, now we need tech touch. And so you're bringing tech touch and it becomes an automated thing. And I'm like, the value of a CSM is empathy. The value of the CSM is being able to have relationships. And so you're going to take that away. And, and I'm not saying digital customer success is bad. We'll talk about that later, I hope, because I think that's the future. Because the only true way to scale customer success is through the product. The product touches every person. So your customer success has to be through the product because otherwise it will never scale. But for today, we do need CSMs. We do need to scale. And if we can make money from the CSMs and help fund the organization, I think that opens up some new possibilities for where success can go in the future. Absolutely. So, you know, the first part of your book really provides what you call a customer success toolbox for your readers. And I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this today because it's it's things that you would expect like customer health and success plans and EBRs and people can go read your book and learn all about that. <laughs> um, but what do you see as the most important part of that section of your book? Okay, so you're right. In fact, when you read the book, there'll be there's very little in there that you're like, oh, wow, I never even thought of that. I never heard of that. Or I mean, there's elements of that you might not know about churn journey mapping. Mm -hmm. You might not know about customer advocacy, maturity maps. Like I get I get there's some stuff in there. But yeah. overall, I'm like, I think what why I when I read the book and I'm like, OK, cool, that makes sense because it's simple is, uh -huh. oh, yeah, it's it's actually simple. Like there's nothing here you don't know. It's just put together in a way that yeah. can be consumed. That's all I tried to do is create the framework so you can just wrap your head around every single thing that you yeah. need to be thinking about. So in those 10 tools, um, let's use the analogy I used earlier. I'm giving you the blueprints to build a house. These uh -huh. 10 tools are like the electrician, the plumber, you know, <laughs> the landscaper, like the tiler. The, the, so, so these tools are what helps build out that house for you. And sure, you could get by with three of the 10 tools or five of the 10 tools. You don't need all the tools and they don't need to be super sophisticated. But you're going to have a much more, you're going to have a better house if you have all 10 tools. And so I want to make sure that people know, A, to establish that. And then in the book, I talk about, you know, if you don't have an unlimited budget, which mm -hmm. pretty much is everyone, you yeah. can start very simply on all the tools. Like if you want to do customer health scoring, you don't have a team of data scientists out the back like Salesforce did, for example. You don't have a bunch of data analysts just focused just on customer success. You, you might have one, you might have none. You might have a BI team that maybe they can help, maybe they can't. That's okay. You can get started with a Google Sheet and just start putting down some things of like, what do great customers look like? They do this, this, and this. Okay, well, let's start measuring our customers against that benchmark. Oh, these customers are a bit low. Bam, there's a there's a basic customer health. So I try to explain the 10 tools that you can start really simply or you can get super sophisticated. And both are in the book. But when you ask me what the most important one to answer your question 27 minutes later after you've asked it, really the my answer is um it, it does that none are more important than the other okay i've in the book i say start with these three but at the end of the day you got to have 10 and they don't need to be over sophisticated you don't need to spend money on them you can build all 10 and and it's because it's the electrician the plumber it's it's all the pieces needed to build a foundation for your house that enables it to scale over time got it so Let's go through your pillars because that's that's kind of the heart of your book as I was reading it. And I think, you know, the first of your seven pillars is operationalizing customer success. And I think that one of the important things that you really highlight in that chapter is an approach to digital customer success programs. Um, so I'd love to hear what you've learned about creating digital CS programs as you wrote this book and what you've, you know, how you sort of think about that. 
Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, like the, the way we've structured customer success, is kind of flawed from a scale perspective. Yeah. You just can't keep adding people. It's just too expensive and complicated as you get bigger. And so digital customer success, I think, is, is obviously the answer. But for me, digital customer success, it's a little misnomer because it's the bringing together of technology with the human. It's not solely about we've got this, you know, drip campaign of 12 emails that go out. Like, you know, that's great. And I'm not saying don't do that, by the yeah. way. I, I think you should have those sort of programs. But to me, that's not digital customer success. That's just an email drip program. That's all that is. And it could be helpful and it might help people on the way. And in fact, it might be perfect for, for some portion of your customers. But, um, for example, at Looker, what we built was the combining of the two, which is using data and technology using um, you know, marketing automation, using data and insights to do to, to, you know, little red flags to say, hey, there's potentially a problem or an issue here. And, and actually then have a playbook for the CSM to be able to go engage with a customer they don't normally have a relationship with. So we're talking about the non-white club, the non-sort of high-touch customers. And that enables you to use technology and um, to scale, to communicate, to advise, to guide what we call personalized journeys at scale. But then the element of being able to add a human in to then have a conversation with someone is actually kind of critical as well. And so this notion of rolling on and off accounts is also acceptable in the world of customer success. People always talk about, we've got to have a relationship. We've got to know three by three at three levels, know three people. So if the stakeholder leaves, we've got someone to back up and we've got to have and, and that's true in big accounts, complex accounts, global accounts, multi-product implementations. You do need that level of sophistication, but most co companies you have might not be like that. So your answer is technology only? No, the answer still is people, but the technology enables you to scale. But for me personally, I would say the long-term goal here is to build as much customer success into the product as possible so that your CSMs become that CSM 3.0, that strategic advisor which then could be monetized and funded and which now enables you to grow a, a large number of people at no cost to your company. In fact, it could make money if you wanted it to, as long as they're adding that strategic value, customers want that. They need that, especially in the digital transformation age, having someone who knows your product, the industry and your company and can spot these things. That's, that's gold to companies. That's yeah. the competitive advantage right there. And um, so, yeah, I, I really do think that that's, that that's critical. Yeah, I think you know as I think about digital programs, I, I kind of think of it in terms of plugging your CSMs into kind of micro segments inside of a big group of customers that you can't really have a one-to-one -one relationship with. And so, you know, having analysts looking, helping you look for, you know, where is a micro segment where we can move the needle in some way, either by helping that customer expand or helping save that customer or, you know, getting them out of trouble. Um, but I think the other piece of it is, and I'd love your take on this is like the predictive piece. So I feel like we're really good at responding. And for big accounts, we can be a little more predictive as CSMs because we do have a relationship and we can move, yep. you know, that trusted advisor relationship forward. But with digital, it's hard. And so I think there's a there's a predictive data component to that that I'm really interested in the machine learning around because I feel like that's a gap today. We're guessing a lot of times at what customers need and designing yep. programs around communicating those things, but it's not always very informed by data. Where do you see that going? 
Yeah, so obviously at Looker, it's a data yeah. platform. So yeah. we, we love data. It's a data culture, yeah. data literacy. We understand that the in order to make the best decisions in any company is, is based on data and access to, to real, mm-hmm. clean, you know, governed data. And so, um, look, the way I think about it is I saw a pretty sophisticated model at Salesforce when I was there. The fact that, you know, they had 120-odd inputs for every customer, which created a score. And whenever the score would trigger a problem, it would identify from the data what it was, then deploy the playbook to the account team or mm-hmm. customer success. And I know a number of companies do that now. And that's great, right? So predicting churn in advance, predicting problems in advance, and then delivering a playbook to a, a CSM. So that's cool. But I also talked to a company who's in the identity management space. They actually got data scientists, did a bunch of analysis, and they found that if three features are deployed in their product line, they have a 99% retention rate. Mm-hmm. So rather than trying to predict and bring in all this analysis and all these inputs and the complication, they basically yeah. said CS, services, training, sales, support, whoever's talking to the customer, these three features is what we have to get implemented. Because if we do that, we've done our job. Like that, so the whole effort, they were able to have a very lean customer success org that they had, were able to move to 3.0. They monetized their yeah. customer success team and they have great retention because they understood that I don't need to predict these certain things. Like if my, if my champion leaves, my sponsor leaves, we're not at risk because these three yeah. features create a, a, an environment, make it very difficult, which buys us time to build more relationships and stuff. So you know, when you think about prediction, yes, we got to get smarter with data. There's an old part in the book about the future of success, and it is data, mm-hmm. and, and it's real-time data, and it's all these things you can do now with cloud databases, you yeah. know, BigQuery and stuff. You can do amazing things, ML, AI, absolutely. But still, understand what makes a customer successful. You might not need to know that predictive stuff. You might just need to know what combination of features creates an environment for your for you to have value that is difficult to remove in any circumstance. I'm not saying that applies to every company, but again, it's just awesome that data gives you that insight, regardless of right. which situation you're looking at. And there's more there's more scenarios like that in the book, but um, yes, I think I think we need to get better at that. And I think I think we're making progress, just really slow. Yeah. Well, and I think. Um we get stuck in our own assumptions a lot and let that guide the way that we want to drive programs like digital programs. And I think kind of stepping back from the assumptions and uncovering, letting ourselves uncover things like the fact that maybe there are just three things and that makes us sticky, you know, and you would never have guessed that if you were thinking about it, you would have probably overcomplicated it. And so, um, you know, allowing the data to kind of guide the direction um, takes a little trust, but it, um, I think can help us have better programs because it keeps us from our own uh, instincts that might be wrong. <laughs> and yes, often or, are. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or confirms what yeah. you're thinking is right, yeah. you know, and gives yeah. you that defensibility to go, you know, have that conversation with whoever to um, yeah. to, to enact it. So, yeah, I would agree 100%. We, um, that's, all, that's the beauty of ML and AI. I think, you know, on its own, it's amazing insights, that you could never, you know, get your head around as a, as a human, you know, as a CSM in an account, just because it's getting data from all these things you don't even see or, or aware right. of, right? But but you, if you can pair that with an empathetic, 
you know, strategic advisor like a CSM. So you give them the perfect knowledge and understanding of what's wrong and what opportunities are. And then you have someone who can go deliver that, have the conversation, get the mind share, um, do the networking, like all of that component. Then you have like a match made in heaven. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, let's bring on more data yeah. analysis and understanding. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you like Strike Deck Radio, I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, Reading for Success. Reading for Success is a short weekly podcast where I review books and articles on customer success leadership, break them down for you, and help you figure out whether or not they are worth your time. We will also be featuring author interviews from time to time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many of the other podcast platforms. I hope you'll join me for Reading for Success. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I love data. If you want to create a data-driven customer success program, StrikeDeck's Pro Guide to Customer Success is a report based on a preliminary study of 5,600 CS professionals from nearly 600 companies. It highlights the scope of customer success and offers valuable data points to help CS professionals enhance their initiatives. Get access to it now and let data drive your decision making. We'll add the link in the description of this podcast. And now back to today's episode. So the next five pillars in your book are stages that a customer might go through in their customer journey. It's onboarding, adoption, retention, expansion, and advocacy. And one of the points that you make throughout this section of the book is that at each of these stages, the customer should be seeing value. Can you describe how you see that playing out at each of the five stages? Yeah. Um, just before I jump into that, Christian, yeah. I just want to be really clear here. So, you know, pillar number one is operationalizing customer yep. success, which is about your company. And I do remember as I was writing the book, someone said to me, why is your first pillar not about the customer? Like, why is it about your company? I'm like, well, you know, I, I have a motto. I always say it's, it, it's, customer success through employee success, right? So, and if you think of, again, the, the house sort of analogy, it's the foundation that you build the house on. Yeah. So unless we get that right, we just can't deliver to the customer. So that's why I start with your company, you know, your organization, as opposed to start with the customer because, you know, mm -hmm. customers first and all the customer centricity, I get that. And absolutely that's true. But when it comes to a framework and delivering value, we need to make sure we have that foundation that foundation in and really strong. So the now second set framing. of pillars. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like otherwise it's going to be all wobbly and who knows what's going to happen. Um, so yes. And so as I think about the, the customer journey, which is not linear, by the way, like I know the pillars look linear, but the reality is you can sell to one department, they can onboard, they can get value. They might even renew, they, they could expand, but then you'll sell into another department. You got to onboard them. So you go back to onboarding. So the company might be, you know, adopting over here, onboarding over here, expanding over there. So, so they're not linear. But um, when you talk about value, I talk about onboarding is all about value defined. How do we define what value is? That's in the customer success plan. That's the, the, 
the, what we call value one. What is the first bit of value that the customer needs to mm-hmm. feel confident that we we got them? We know how to go deliver. They they can go back to their leadership and say, look, we've had this success and build create momentum. And and for us as an organization that we know that we're on the right path. So you know, value defined is really all at onboarding. Then you move into value consumed, right? Which is how do we get adoption so that the value we're creating is being consumed by the organization, which amplifies that value. And as you go start thinking about, well, what is retention? Like how do we optimize what, what is retention or the renewal actually indicating? It's it's what I call value realized. Like a customer is going to renew with you because they've, they've realized value. Like this is worth staying. We want, we want to stay because we're getting value. And so the value realized is really retention. Um, value expanded, or it's pretty obvious, like it's like, how do we expand the value now? How do we go and grow and beyond? And that might lead to more licenses, more departments, new products being sold. It might amount to zero new revenue, but the company's getting more value. And you know what? That means it's more likely they're going to renew. So that's not a bad thing because that's recurring revenue forever and a day in the future. And I think um, the last the last pillar around advocacy, I, I talk about value confirmed, right? This is... you. When someone wants to go out and tell the world about the value they've gotten, they're confirming that, yes, when they tell you they can deliver this value, they're not joking. And I've, I'm real living proof. Like we we have that in, in, in our company. And so value confirmed is that advocacy. So what you'll notice is every one of those pillars is about value, but a different lens of looking at what value means at that point in the journey. I really like that. Um your last pillar, so this is the seventh pillar, is strategic advisor. And you kind of talked about that a little bit at the beginning, but how would you define a CSM who is a strategic advisor and what do you see as the unique value that they bring to customers? Yeah, yeah we, we touched on that earlier. Um, the, the whole concept, uh, originally when I wrote the, the pillar, it was transformation advisor. Oh, okay. Because it really is transforming an organization. Mm-hmm. But when I went out and was testing this with my peers, there are some products that aren't necessarily transformational. Strategically important because they enable some other transformation. And so I'm like, well, it's a bit of a stretch to say they should be transformation advisors because not every use case of your product is necessarily a digital transformation of but, it, but in some cases, it enables it. So to me, I changed it to strategic advisor, which was all about adding, adding value because I see a lot of customer success orgs talk about, we want to be the trusted advisor of the customer. And, and I always laugh because I'm like, so everyone else is untrusted? Like, is our support not to be trusted or our legal team or our finance team or our support services? Like, yeah. Everyone should be trusted. Like that's that should be a given, right? Um, what we want to be is strategic. We want to be valuable. That that individual, that CSM in the account, is not just some resource thrown in there to help with odd jobs. Like they're in there purposefully to help you transform your organization or to enable a transformation to occur to make you more competitive, to make you more valuable to your customer, to make you more efficient, to drive more revenue, to have a better experience, whatever the value is for that customer, your CSM is to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, if we know the, if we know the industry, we know the, we know the product, we know the customer, this CSM has a unique perspective very few people can have in that organization that should be leveraged by that organization and should be smart enough to help that organization strategically think about how to use their product, um, you know, more strategically. And I remember talking to someone um, who, who was, uh, they use Trello and they're like, 
uh, I don't really need a strategic advisor as my CS person about Trello. Like I need my CSM to tell me, here's the feature. Did you know you could do this and that? And I'm like, oh, hang on, hang on. That's a, that's a great example of where you need a strategic advisor. Do you know there are companies that use that product to transform their onboarding, to make it more efficient? You know, in COVID, if you had a way of automating all this stuff and that product does that, you can like, and then there's suddenly the person's eyes are opening up and realizing what I'm saying, which is just because it's not, you know, taking a traditional bank and becoming a digital bank and that sort of transformation. It's a simple thing, but it is a transformation of how things are done that creates efficiency, improves employee experience with what some people would call is just a, it's like a workflow tool, a project planning tool, like whatever the people use it for, but actually it could be transformative if used in the right way. And, you know, I, I'm just, I don't work for, Atlassian or anything. I'm not. I'm not promoting that product <laughs> in any way. But I'm just using it as an example because it's a real example yeah, I had with someone who was like, "I don't need a strategic advisor." And I'm like, "Oh, yes, you do," because you're just using it in the way that it's marketed. But if you think deeply about what it can do, it can transform. And you know what? Someone from that organization should come in and tell you about that, or, or maybe they have and you haven't heard it. But at the end of the day, strategic advisor is is a unique perspective on that organization's capabilities today and what it could be tomorrow. And that is gold to customers. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, CSMs sometimes get mm. with their customers very focused in the weeds. And I think that strategic advisor role is everybody kind of lifting up their eyes and going, okay, what, but what could it be? And can we, <laughs> can we challenge ourselves and challenge our customers to push it further and make it go beyond, you know, what, the initial use case was for this thing. Yeah, that's no, you're exciting. Dead, you're dead on. You are dead right. Um, and that's what the chapter is about, right? It introduces mm -hmm. the KSE model, mm -hmm. uh, which I co-developed with a, another uh, author and uh, CEO of a company around services. And the KSE model is knowledge, skills, and experience. And within that, it's it's how do you create strategic advisors? Because it's easy to say, hey, you know, think about this strategically. And you're like, well, I don't have those skills. Like, what does that even mean? So so the, the chapter is all about how do you go build these strategic advisors? And, and you hit the nail on the head, which is, and part of it is just simply taking a step back and getting out of the weeds of this is the specific thing we're trying to achieve. That's our customer success plan says we're going to deliver this by this date. That's the value one or value two or value three. And it's the desired outcome of the customer. Yeah, that's great. You should go do that because that's literally why you're there. But as a strategic advisor, you can then say, hey, I have another value four or value five. I have another way that you can create great value or, or um, you know, improve the experience or revenues or efficiencies or whatever. That That is what a strategic advisor is. And you need the time to do it and you need a certain skill set of people to do it. And so that's what we talk about in that chapter because I realize that's that's a difficult, out of all the pillars, to me, that's the most difficult one to get to. Um, the first one's difficult, but there's ways to do it. The, 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 the seventh pillar is difficult and no one's really done it to a great extent. So there's, there's still a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. Um, I want to shift gears for a second, um, just to ask you an author question. Um, what were your famous, favorite and toughest parts of the book to write? Um, you know, what's really funny about writing a book is you start writing like, I believe this and this is how you should do it. And you, you think you know everything, right? Because, you know, you're a super smart person because you're writing a book. But but what it does is hey, it, then you start to get scared and you're like, well, what if that's wrong? Like. What if I'm in my own little bubble and just because my experiences at these five companies and talk to these 10 people, 
maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe we're all wrong. Like, and so you start self-doubting and then all of a sudden you're like, well, hang on, why do I believe that even? Am I just saying it because I watched a podcast or heard a podcast or I watched a video or I read a, an article and I, I've just adopted that without actually thinking about why do I truly believe what I'm saying? And so that's a really weird experience. So I guess that's why some authors are a little crazy because I went a little crazy there because you don't even know what I'm thinking. I'm like, I don't even know why I think that. And this is a strange conversation to have with yourself. Uh, equally strange now telling the world yeah. about it on your podcast, but it's, it's just this weird thing that you go through. And, um, and, and so, but it's great because it really solidifies your beliefs and why, and then do you have data? Can you back it up or is it just gut feel or you're just making stuff up and it, you really have to then challenge yourself. And sometimes I have to change my mind. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, I, that's wrong because I've talked to these people. I've seen the evidence. I've tried it myself and actually what I thought would work doesn't because of XYZ and I didn't understand that um, in its entirety. So the good thing about being a, a former chief customer officer two times is, you know, I, I'm not just in success. I've been across support and services training, community documentation, other other parts that help customers. And, and so I'm also able to test it with, this might work great for CS, but it breaks support or services or training. Like, so yeah. then I have another layer in the book over, okay, we have to think that we don't operate in isolation and so, again, the book was really just challenging me to think through those things. And then ultimately, the last thing that was a surprising discovery was, who's the book for? Because originally, I just wrote it for me. It wasn't meant to be published. It was more just getting my thoughts down to become a better success leader. Um, but then I realized people were like me in, in my conversations. And I'm like, well, maybe this will help. And then then I met CSMs that wanted to be a leader. And I'm like, well, then this book will probably help you start thinking the way a leader would think. And then suddenly people outside of success are like, wait, you pivoted into success. And like, how do we do that? And I'm like, well, this book will help you sort of understand how it all works. And, and you can start to work out where your strengths are and how you can get in. Maybe you're strong on operations. Maybe you're strong on digital. Maybe you're strong in marketing and being, you know, part of that digital success motion. Maybe you're great with customers and you want to be a high touch CSM. So um, yeah, that was the other realization was actually the book is for a much broader audience than just me, which is good if you're trying to sell some well, books. Well, yeah, if you're... <laughs> should be for more than just you <laughs> yeah. um last question this is something we ask all of our our guests uh what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success today and why yeah i love customer success for many reasons first of all it's mission i think that's the best mission you can have in any department so you know i'm biased that way but i love that um i do think you know, when I think about customer success, um, the community, I mean, talk about people that lift each other up, help each other, encourage each other, teach each other. I mean, it's, I've, there's no community like that, um, that, that I've, that I've seen in my career. Um, and then the third thing is every three to six months, there's a hot new thing in customer success, which is great. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, we're just sort of exiting the, the era of onboarding. And I know, you know, uh, one of my peers, Donna Weber, wrote this awesome book called Onboarding Matters. If you don't have a copy, go buy a copy because I have a pillar on onboarding. To, go listen to my episode on, on Donna's book. Yes. <laughs> but go Donna's book is great. Podcast yeah. Than this yeah. One. Um, yeah, so you know, that's great. And, and I think that's we, we've got to nail that and we haven't done a good job. Yeah. We, we've got 
plenty of room there. Now we've kind of moved into what's hard is digital customer success and, and COVID brought that on. Suddenly people can't travel. So and suddenly every customer success org is a digital customer success. It might have people, but you're doing it on Zoom, you're not traveling, everything's technical, technology-based. And so I think that's sort of a trend now. And as we start to emerge out of the shadow of COVID and and then we'll start focusing on the next thing of customer success. And it could be any number of things. It could be the monetization of customer success. It could be the re reinvention of what customer success is. If you start thinking of how we structure our organizations post-first sale, as we've learned in COVID, that uh, we don't have efficient ways of delivering to the customer. We're still clinging to the old, here are the pillars, here are operational metrics for each one, and not thinking about the customer experience and the journey they're on and how we as a company can show up in a different way to help you know, accelerate time to value, accelerate value for the customer, create that advocacy. So it could be that. Um, I think the rise of the chief customer officer, Jay Nathan, did a really nice bit inside the book about, you know, the rise of the CCO and suddenly having a seat at the table. And what does that now mean in the relationship with sales and with product? Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have a crystal ball, even though there's a section in my book called Crystal Ball, um, <laughs> which looks at the future. And I go through a number of these things of things I'm sort of trends I'm seeing and things that are becoming more talked about. Um, and there, you know, there are taboo topics, you know, how do we compensate? Should we have them on a leverage plan? Should it just be straight, you know, base or should it base and bonus? Do they sell? Should we have CSMs with quotas? And there's a bunch of that stuff as well that we need to just get past and just sort of decide on what it is and what it isn't and move on. And I, I talk about that in the book too. Um, anyway, so, I, you know, I hate to be elusive in my answer um, because I think there's plenty of, different ways this can go moving forward once we start to you know move on to the next thing that we need to be addressing and and and, and i can't wait for that and that's why i love being in this business because it's always changing and there's always new things and there's always really smart people who who come up and and have ideas that i i've never thought of before and i, I always learn from this community and every time those hot new trends come up it's a chance to dig in and everyone get involved and we, we kind of work out what it is and what it isn't and then we go to the next thing and i love that yeah, it makes it really fun and dynamic. Yeah. That's why I make customer success instead of sales. <laughs> yeah, it is fun and dynamic. And yeah. just in hindsight, I should have just said that instead of a four-minute spiel. But no, no. Um, no I, I agree. Like, it, it is, we're really lucky to be in this field. People are really lucky to be here at this time, helping to create and invent what the future of success is for our customers. So, yeah, that for me, that's um, that's definitely a plus of being in customer success. And I love it. I love being here. Very cool. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for joining me on Strike Deck Radio today. I appreciated hearing more about your book, and I know your audience really will appreciate your practical ideas and tips. Um, congrats on getting your book published. Uh, that's a huge, huge achievement. And um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or buy your book, what should they do? Um, yeah, so uh, I have a website. It's um, www.cspillars.com. Uh, still, still being built out, but essentially it has information about the book. You can actually download all the graphics in the book. Um, actually, one of the Amazon reviewers said, just buy the book just for the graphics, like, because they're all, that's your future presentation fodder. Uh, I think David wrote that. Like, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, you can go download them from the site. And then there's going to be more stuff on the site over time um, and more value that people can consume and get in contact with me. Um, or you can just go to Amazon. Uh, it's in 13 different countries on Amazon right now. Um, and I'm really lucky it just got named number one bestseller, um, which I'm really excited. The publisher so really excited Yeah, we didn't know if we'd get that, but we got that. That again, thanks to the community, right? They rallied around. They want to support and they want to learn and grow. And 
and we're all here to help each other. So, um, but yeah, check out the website if you want to know more uh, and that's a way to get in contact with me as well. Well, thank you, Wayne. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us next time. <music>